My name is Ryan Johnson. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Cornerstone. And today is Palm Sunday, when we celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. And as he entered in that way, he was declaring that he is the king promised by the Old Testament. And it is called Palm Sunday because as he rode in on a donkey, the crowds cut uh, palm branches and laid them on the ground in front of him, um, honoring him, their king. And um, that's the proper response to our king. Uh, Jesus is the king. We should honor him. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read our passage for us. This is um, from Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. I'll go ahead and pray for us. Jesus, we praise you because you are the king. You are the king of everything in the sense that you are ultimately in control of everything. And you are our king who laid down your life so that we can enter into your kingdom. Lord, I pray that um, as we look into your word together, that you would just reveal to us what a good king you are, how gracious you are and peaceful, and that we would um, love you, our king, and that we would want to honor you in any way that we can, and that you would show us how. Lord, we do love you, and we pray that you would draw near to us now to encourage us from your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage is starting at Bethany. Uh, it's about one and a half miles from Jerusalem, and Jesus is there probably with his friends, uh, Lazarus, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and all of his disciples. And uh, he declares his intention, today we're going to Jerusalem. And so he sends two of his disciples to Bethphage to go and get a donkey. Uh, it doesn't say, really, whether this was his omniscience, he just knew that this plan would work, um, or whether he just knew the guy who had the donkey, and he talked to him ahead of time and said, hey, I'm going to need a donkey coming this Sunday or something. Um, it doesn't really say, doesn't really matter, that's not the point. Uh, in any case, they did get the donkey, and, uh, and actually they got two. Um, Jesus rode on the younger of the two, Mark 11, two says that it was a donkey that no one had ever ridden on, a colt that no one had ever ridden on. And they brought the mother along because uh, they needed to keep that donkey calm as they went through shouting crowds into Jerusalem. 
as Jesus left Bethphage, his disciples went with him, um, and it was on, the Bethphage was on the east side of the Mount of Olives, so they had to go up the road over the crest of the Mount of Olives, and as they did, they were able to see Jerusalem laid out below them. This is a modern picture of Jerusalem. Um, so we've got the Dome of the Rock in the middle of the picture, which is a sacred site for Muslims, but that was the, the site, that's the Temple Mount where the temple would have been. And so as they crested the hill, they saw all of Jerusalem laid out before them. The crowds in Jerusalem knew that Jesus was coming. Uh, he'd been in Bethany, so they knew this is the day. And so the crowds started coming out of Jerusalem to welcome him. Jesus and his disciples started coming down the hill, the Mount of Olives, um, him riding on the donkey, the, the cloaks of the, uh, of the disciples as his saddle, riding along the crowds coming to meet them, and then uh, they're cutting, you know, they're laying their cloaks on the ground. They're cutting palm branches. They're shouting, Hosanna to the King of David. Uh, Jesus entered into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry. It is, it is interesting to me that this is the only time in the Bible where we see Jesus traveling in any way other than walking. Um, and it's not because he was tired of walking. Uh, Bethphage was only less than a mile from Jerusalem, and people in the ancient world could easily walk 20 miles in a day. So he definitely was not tired of walking. He was doing this on purpose. The donkey was a point. Um, and he was, he was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to purposely fulfill what was said in Zechariah 9.9, which was, Behold, your king is coming to you, <clears throat> sorry, humble, and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, he was declaring, I am the king, promised by the Old Testament. So imagine that you are walking along the beach. So I've, I've walked on beaches before where sometimes there's like a pier that goes from the land out into the water. And uh, in order to, I guess, I don't know, they, they put rocks on the side of the pier so that you can kind of like climb up over the pier. Does that make sense? Anyway, so imagine you're walking along the beach, and you climb up over some rocks, and you get on the other side of this pier, and suddenly you can see the beach on the other side. And you see this. What's happening? Uh, you see two people, a guy and a girl, dressed nicely. The guy is down on one knee. He's got a ring. Uh, they're in a beautiful location. No one has to explain this to you. This is a symbolic action that we understand in our culture. He is proposing. Um, in Jesus' culture, entering into Jerusalem on a donkey was a symbolic action that everyone understood. Everyone knew Zechariah 9.9. Um, they knew that by riding into Jerusalem in this way, Jesus was saying, I'm him. I'm the king. We know that they understood what he was saying because of their response. Hosanna to the, to the son of David, um, laying palm branches on the ground, honoring him. And we know that so Jesus confirms, yep, you got it right, uh, because he accepts their honor and praise and rides into Jerusalem. The crowds were excited uh, because they thought, hey, this is our, finally our political king. This is the guy that's going to start the revolution and throw off the Romans. Of course, we know that that was not the kind of king that Jesus is. He's a much better king. He's a spiritual king. And we see that if we look at the passage that he was fulfilling 
in Zechariah 9, we see that Jesus is the king who came to lay down his life for his people, to bring us into his kingdom. He comes having salvation. And we see that Jesus is not interested in being the king uh, for a short time of a small country in the Middle East. He is the king from sea to sea. He is the king of everything. Um, He is the spiritual king. Jesus is the king of the universe in the sense that he's in control of everything right now. Jesus is especially the king of his people as we submit our hearts to him and live according to his will. People are joining Christ's kingdom as they trust in the gospel and come to him. We are extending the influence of his kingdom as we go about our lives, submitting everywhere we go to his authority. And one day, Christ will return and set up his eternal kingdom, a kingdom of peace and joy forever, everything finally the way it was supposed to be. Jesus is the king. Uh, When people were walking with him down the Mount of Olives, I doubt that anyone understood that except him. But they did respond appropriately. They honored him. And that's the appropriate response for us, too. Jesus is the king, so we need to honor him. The sad thing about this passage, I think, is how fickle everyone is. So the crowds are, you know, cutting uh, palm branches and honoring him and shouting all these things. But in five days, they're going to shout, crucify him. Um, The disciples are honoring him, throwing their cloaks over the donkey, um, walking with him. But in five days, they're going to run and hide. People are fickle, especially to Jesus, and that means us too. We worship Jesus on Sunday morning, and then by this afternoon, maybe he is the farthest thing from our minds. Uh, We listen to God's word on Sunday. Maybe we make... uh, new decisions about how we're going to live for Christ from now on. And by Monday, nothing has changed. And I think we're actually more fickle than that. We can be listening to a sermon one second, and the very next second, having an angry thought about someone. Uh, We can have a wonderful time of prayer, fully uh, engaged with Jesus, and the next second, we can have a lustful thought. We are really fickle, um, especially to Jesus. Jesus is our king, and we need to honor him consistently. We will honor Jesus consistently when we realize he really is the king. So in in this passage, the people are really honoring Jesus. And that really what really stands out to me is their cloaks. Like um, a cloak obviously was the outer garment that people in that culture wore. And I don't know how many cloaks they had, but I can guarantee you they had far fewer cloaks than we have clothes in our closets. Uh, And what they were doing with these cloaks, the disciples were laying them over a dirty donkey uh, to let Jesus use it as a saddle. The crowds were laying it on the ground so that the donkey's hooves would grind it into the dirt. And like you know if a donkey is passing over your clothes, there are other dangers too. What would it take for you to take off your, if you're a guy, take off your jacket and lay it on the road so that someone can drive over it? What would it take for you to take off your favorite shirt or something and lay it on the road just so someone can drive over it? Um, They were really honoring Jesus. But it all fell apart within five days. The 
the crowds shout, crucify him, the disciples run and hide. Luckily, the story doesn't stop there. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. He talked with them. He touched them. He said, stick your hand to my side if you want. Um, He said, put your fingers through the holes in my hands if you want. Um, He ate with them. It was very obvious to everyone, oh, he's alive. Uh, Then he gave them his mission, or continued giving them his mission, to go and make disciples of all nations. He ascended into heaven in front of them. He poured out his spirit on them at Pentecost. And from that time on, they did uh, honor Christ consistently in their lives. They, they went from uh, fear to boldly proclaiming he is the Christ. They went from hiding to uh, peace and joy and confidence. They, they spent the rest of their lives traveling around the Roman world telling everyone Jesus is the Christ. Most all of them were martyred for their faith, and they went to their deaths joyfully proclaiming Jesus is the Christ. They struggled with sin, just like all of us, but clearly something happened. I would say that when they were going into Jerusalem with Jesus, they had a hopeful expectation that maybe he was the king. And after Jesus rose from the dead, they realized, he's the king. (laughs) Same with the crowds. Um, You know, they honored him, and then five days later, they shout, crucify him. But then within a month, thousands of them are becoming Christians. What happened? On the way down the hill, on the way down the Mount of Olives, they thought they had a hopeful expectation. Hey, maybe this guy's the king. Um, After Jesus rose from the dead, they said, this guy's the king. That's what we need. If, If you're a Christian, you already believe that Jesus is the king. But the truths we know don't always impact how we live. We need to realize Jesus is really the king. Uh, when I was a pastoral intern, I used to work at Chick-fil-A to help pay the bills. And my frequent position at Chick-fil-A was that I would stand. If you go to a Chick-fil-A, there's someone who stands facing the kitchen through the, like, an open window. And they've got screens on both sides. And on this side, they've got all the orders coming through from the registers on the front. And they're putting things on trays and handing the trays to people on the front line. And then they're also looking at the screen on the left side, um, putting things in bags to hand out to the drive through That was my position. So uh, if, you know, if it was a busy lunchtime, I was uh, very busy. And I remember one lunch in particular, I was uh, stressed, anxious, irritated, frustrated, loading things as quickly as possible. And then all of a sudden, I remembered, Jesus is alive. And nothing changed. I had to keep moving really fast. <laughs> but... In a sense, everything had changed because all of a sudden I felt joy and hope and excitement and energy. Um, We need to realize Jesus is really the king. And the way that that happens is the same old way. It's, It's the spiritual disciplines. As we read God's word day by day, he uses his word to impress upon us, I'm really the king. Um, as we spend time in prayer, Jesus draws near to us and confirms to our hearts, I'm really the king. And as we spend time with our brothers and sisters in Christ in corporate worship or 
and small groups or whatever. God uses our brothers and sisters in Christ to impress upon our hearts, I'm really the king. We need that. We need to realize Jesus is really the king. When we realize that, the more we realize that, the more we will consistently honor Christ in everything we do. We're a few behind. We will also honor Jesus more consistently when we realize that he is a gracious king. So when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, he knew everything. He knew that the crowds in five days were going to shout, crucify him. He knew that the disciples in five days were going to run and hide. And he knew where he was going in five days. He knew he was going to the cross. And he knew that he was going to the cross to save these fickle people. And he kept going. Jesus is a gracious king who laid down his life so that we can live. This is Sergeant Dennis Weichel. On March 22, 2012, he was serving with his army unit in Afghanistan, and he was in an armored convoy driving through the streets. There came to a part of the road where there were children out on the street picking up shell casings because they could um, turn them in for money. The soldiers got down, got the kids out of the road, and the armored convoy started driving again. And then Dennis Weichel saw that one of the girls had run back into the road. And so he ran at her, and he only had time to pull her out of the way before he was crushed. That is what Jesus did for us. He got in the way of our sins. He took it on himself. He laid down his life so that we could live. He is a gracious king. Because of what he did, um, we are forgiven. If If our faith is in Christ today, we are forgiven of all of our sins Um, When Jesus was dying on the cross, one of the last things he said was, It is finished. I have paid it all. Everything that you deserve for your sins, I have taken it all on me, so there's nothing left for you to pay. And he did that 2,000 years ago. So when Jesus died for our sins, he was dying for sins that hadn't even been committed yet. And so when we realize that, we realize Jesus has already paid for all of our sins, the ones we've already committed, the sins that you may be committing right now, um, and the sins that you've not yet committed. Jesus is a really gracious king. And when we realize how gracious he is, we will want to honor him. So Jesus really is the king. And so he does demand that we submit every area of our lives to him. He demands that we obey him. But... He is gracious to do so. Jesus is God. He loves us. He knows us. He knows what is good for us, and he knows what is bad for us. And when Jesus demands that every area of our lives be submitted to him and lived according to his will, he is simply demanding what's good for us. Jesus is a gracious king to demand that every area of our lives be lived according to his will. Jesus is the king, and so he is right to demand that we honor him above everything else. And he is gracious to do so. If we let something else take the highest place in our lives, there will be negative consequences for us. 
So, um, for example, we could let our jobs take the highest place in our lives. But if we do, and things are going well, then we might really like working. And so we could become workaholics. We could become proud of how well we're doing and start to judge other people who are not doing as well. Or, if things are not going well in our working lives, we could start to feel worthless. And we could start to think, my only hope is to somehow improve this area of my life. But if Jesus is the highest place in our lives, then we look at our jobs as simply an opportunity to serve him, honor him. And we serve in our jobs with confidence, knowing we're loved by the only, ones, the only one in the universe that ultimately matters, and we'll spend eternity with him. It sets everything in a new perspective. And it's like that with everything. Like, um, I don't know, our families, or financial security, or hobbies, or Whatever it is that you are tempted to give the highest place of your, in your life, if you do, it will have negative consequences for you. But if you will honor Jesus above everything else, um, then you will live life with confidence, knowing that you're loved by the only one that ultimately matters. Jesus does demand that he be honored in our lives above everything else, but he is gracious to do so. Jesus is a gracious king. And the more we realize that, the more we will consistently honor Jesus in everything we do. We will also honor Jesus more consistently when we realize that he is a peaceful king. When Jesus came to earth, he did not come riding on a war horse with the armies of heaven behind him. When Jesus came to earth, he did not come on a flaming chariot ready to burn up his enemies. When Jesus came to earth... He came on a donkey. That is a declaration that he's come peacefully. Um, Jesus is the peaceful king who comes to make peace. And we see that if we look um, at the passage that he was fulfilling. This is Zechariah 9.9 again. We see that Jesus came to make peace between us and God. He came having salvation. We see that Jesus came to make peace uh, between people. The more we realize that we are forgiven and loved by God, the more we will forgive and love others. It says that he takes away the chariot, the war horse, and the battle bow. He speaks peace to the nations. Jesus came to make peace between people. <clears throat> Jesus' kingdom is a good kingdom where everything is the way it's supposed to be. He is the righteous king who rules his people well. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of peace and joy. It says in verse 9, rejoice greatly. Jesus is the peaceful king of a peaceful kingdom. Heaven is peaceful and joyful now. When Christ returns, there will be peace and joy here forever. And until then, we are representatives of Christ's kingdom, um, his kingdom of peace and joy. If we realize that, it will motivate us to honor Christ in all we do. And here's what I mean. The more we submit to Jesus in our personal lives and live out the norms of his kingdom, the more our lives will take on this peaceful, joyful quality of his kingdom. The more we submit to Jesus in the way we treat our family members and live out the norms of his kingdom within our homes— the more our families will take on this quality of peace and joy that characterizes his kingdom. The more at work um, you submit to Jesus and um, live out the norms of his kingdom, 
the more your workplace will start to have this quality of peace and joy, at least insofar as it depends on your influence. That's part of what it means that um, we are called to be the salt and light in the world, if you're familiar with that passage. And uh, the influence of Christ's kingdom obviously spreads as we invite others to join into it by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. So to me, that's, that's motivation to, to honor Christ consistently in all we do, realizing that as we do so, in a sense, we're spreading this, the peace and joy of Christ's kingdom in our own lives, in our families, wherever we go. If we realize that Jesus is the peaceful king, then we will honor him more consistently. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, it caused a very big commotion. Verse 10 says, The whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And if you are not yet a Christian, I think that is a very good question for you. Who is this? Who is Jesus? People are really fickle. And it's interesting, sometimes we really care about the deep questions in life. We ask ourselves, where did the universe come from? Why is there something rather than nothing? We're amazed by the complexity of human life, and we wonder, could this really have all just come from random chance? Maybe you wonder why you have this innate sense of right and wrong, and yet why the world is such a messed up place. Maybe you wonder, what happens after death? Is there any afterlife? Sometimes we think about the big questions in life, and sometimes we just put our heads down and go, and we just lead unexamined lives. So if you're not yet a Christian, let me just encourage you, this is a question worth thinking about. You want to know why you are here. You want to know what life is about. Who is Jesus? He says that he's the king of the universe who loved you enough to die for you. So what do you say? Jesus is our king. We need to honor him. In the movie Mr. Holland's Opus, Glenn Holland was a successful musician. Uh, he wanted to take a break from performing, and he wanted to spend some time composing, so he took a job as a high school music teacher. He learned very quickly that uh, his students didn't care at all about music. Um, but he ended up being a good teacher. He ended up uh, figuring out how to connect with them by teaching them about rock and roll. Um, his students were really bad musicians, uh, but he figured out how to connect with them by spending one-on-one -on -one time with them. Eventually, his wife surprised him and said, I'm pregnant. And so he sacrificed his composing pretty much completely, um, taking on extra hours as a driver's ed instructor so that he could support the baby and uh, help, help buy a house. And before he knew it, 31 years had gone by, and he'd spent his entire life being a high school music teacher. His students, though, um, he'd taught many students along the way. And so they, when they knew that he was retiring, they came back to the school they, they picked up their musical instruments that he had taught them how to play, and one of his students had found the one piece of music that he had been able to compose over these 31 years, Mr. Holland's opus. They asked him to come up and direct them as they played his piece. He was a great teacher, and so they honored him. Obviously, my point is, Jesus is a much greater king. <laughs> He's the king of everything. He's especially the king of his people. 
He laid down his life so that we could join his kingdom. His kingdom is growing now as the gospel is being spread and believed, trusted in. Um, we are spreading the influence of his kingdom as we submit every area of our lives to him, as we uh, live as the representatives of his kingdom in the world. Someday he will return, and he will finally set up his eternal kingdom here with everything restored to the way it's supposed to be. Jesus is a great king, and so we should honor him. The more we realize what an amazing king Jesus really is, how gracious, how peaceful, how he brings us into this kingdom of joy. The more we realize that, the more we will want to honor him consistently in our lives. Let me close us in prayer. Jesus, thank you that you truly are the great king. It is incredible that the king of the universe will be willing to suffer and die so that we could be saved, us fickle people. Lord, I pray that you would um, help us, we know that you're the king, but help, us, help it be real to our hearts. Help us know what we know. Help us to be impacted by what we know. Help us realize you really are the king. And help us um, just fall in love with you again. Uh, you are a gracious king. You are a peaceful king. Lord, help us to fall in love with you again and desire to honor you with all of our hearts. Teach us. Uh, where we need to submit to you and help us to do so joyfully. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.